Welcome back to the Super Only Podcast. My name's Luke. I'm one of your co-hosts, and this is a podcast where all we do is dive into Subaru topics, and we're interviewing people involved in the Subaru aftermarket industry and people that use Subarus as their platform for motorsport racing. Today, we've got a really exciting show because we've got a great guest from the UK. Jimmy is our co-host. Jimmy, tell us about who we have as our guest today for the interview. So we got a guy who is probably way better of a driver than anybody I might know. And I say might because I know a guy named Lon Peterson, but probably he is the, I guess, head coach in probably the UK. He's got a whole lot of certifications, a lot of experience, and the dude trains rally drivers. And I'm not talking like you and me rally drivers, even though he can, you definitely can, you can contact him. I'm talking like actual WRC, like drivers, like, like legit guys, super, one of the most legit people we'll probably ever talk to. His name is Ian Duncan, and it's spelled I-A-I-N, not I-A-N. Ian Duncan, he is from the UK, and I think he's about to take us through school verbally on anything. And he's also going to tell us all about his, uh, how he got here, what he's done, interest in Subarus, things of that sort. So, Luke, I'm excited for this. I don't know how excited you are, but I'm excited. I think we're all excited. I, I am super excited. This is, this is a really, really good interview. I think all of our fans out there are going to be really interested in this interview. I got uh, actually a list of his qualifications here. He's bar grade S certified. He's an MSA level two certified coach. I don't even know what that means, but I know that these are the type of certifications you need to have to be a professional coach in the UK and maybe even globally. He's got uh, about eight or eight plus years experience. And he's two in the last two years, he was a chief instructor at the London rally school. So he's a chief driving instructor at UK London rally school. I believe he actually has left the rally school since. We'll find out on this interview. And I think he's actually started his own uh, a shop. So he's a coach uh, at his own shop now. But he's been doing a lot of driving, a lot of coaching for a lot of years. He's got a lot of experience with a lot of professional drivers. And we're going to have him call in right now. All right, everyone. I have Ian Duncan on the call. He's a professional rally coach and driver coach from the UK. Ian, thank you so much for taking us taking our call today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Super Rolling Podcast. Uh, Ian, <clears throat> tell us uh, what your title is professionally right now and how uh, the audience can go ahead and get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you. Well, thanks very much, Chef, for having me on, Luke. Um, yeah, my title really, uh, I've called myself um, business-wise uh, Rally Coach. Um, that incorporates uh, over the 10 years or so experience I have in uh, performance driving coaching. Uh, if people want to see in a little bit more detail without going too much into it, um, what it is that I do, you can find all of that out at uh, rallycoach.co.uk. All of my contact details are on there. And uh, yeah, I look forward to um, being in touch with some uh, some new uh, clients. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, so you're a professional rally coach in the UK. Yeah. Um, I guess let's start from the beginning. How did you kind of get into cars? Did you have an influence? Was it a family member? Was it a friend? Uh, how did you get into cars? And eventually let's weave into the story of how you became a professional coach. But let's start with the cars. Well, starting with the cars, I mean, that's going back to my school days. Um, I grew up, I think, in one of the better times in rally. 
I was a massive uh, Colin McRae fan. I followed him uh, all through his three years. And obviously when he jumped uh, into uh, Subaru and followed them through, that was right through the better part of my uh, my teens, I suppose. And that stuck with me for the rest of my life. I found him quite an inspiring chap. And uh, at the earliest opportunity in my life where I could own a Subaru, I did. I think I was only 24 when I first had my uh, my first impressor. And I stuck with Subaru for many, many years, as I'm sure we'll get into as uh, as time goes on. But certainly my biggest influencer uh, out of everything in a in a car sense was um, was Colin McRae, uh, hence my connection with Subaru. Awesome. I think that's it's a, it's a big influence for a lot of us. Uh, and you're of course it is. right at that age group where you were getting to witness all, all those incredible, incredible uh, races and championships and and accolades he achieved. Yeah. I mean, he had some very, uh, very interesting moments. You know, he'd either uh, win it or bin it, as they said in all these famous quotes and statements. But, you know, a lot of people look at Colin McRae as being maybe the better driver, but I never looked at him as being the best driver. I just looked at him as being very, um, very passionate about what he did. He had heart. You know, I, I quite often compare him to maybe watching a Rocky movie. You know, he was the guy that kept getting back on the, uh, back on the horse and sort of faced his fears and kept plodding on regardless. So, uh, yeah, he had passion for the sport, and I found that very, very inspiring indeed. So did you uh, end up wrenching on cars and uh, uh, doing the engine building and maintenance on cars? How did you get familiar with how to work on cars? Well, that's it's an interesting one. One of the, uh, the things with owning Subarus, as I'm sure you're both very aware of, is they can be quite expensive, especially if you're outsourcing the, uh, you know, the maintenance repairs and in general servicing um, so being able to do it yourself cuts a lot of that cost down and uh, I forced myself into that scenario <laughs> hmm. you know I purchased my first Subaru and I couldn't really afford to have it at that time so when it came to servicing times and uh, doing general maintenance uh, I sort of forced myself in fact your videos your uh, YouTube channel has helped, helped me out no no end of times uh, <laughs> you know I've been following you for quite some time so yeah it was a great way of keeping the cost down uh, just learning uh, learning the way around the car I did eventually get to the point where I was breaking engines right down to bare nuts and bolts and putting them back together again quite successfully. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, been a, it's a hell of a connection. Yeah, it sounds like uh, out of necessity, which is uh, exactly why I got into building engines and repairing yeah. cars. And I think that's <clears throat> fundamentally why a lot of us get into it initially is just out of the necessity. Absolutely. And it's you know, it, it's a worldwide family as well. You know, and I, I feel that you know people love the car. We tend to be quite open to helping others out as well. You know, it's it's almost like a, a global community, if, if you put it that way. You know, if you've got a, a Subaru at home and you're away on holiday and you bump into somebody else with a Subaru, then welcome you with open arms on this. You know, it's, it's very rare that they've been anywhere in the world and gone over and spoken to a Subaru owner that they haven't um, been quite friendly about it. So it's good to see. Yes. Keep it up. It seems, it seems to be dying out these days. I don't know if the, the following is just as strong now as what it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, but... Yeah, I, I hope that those like-minded people are still around and try and keep that family sort of. Uh, yeah, go on. Do you think they're still around? Because I mean, I def I don't know if you do this, Ian, but like when I'm driving around, I have my Subaru, and I find another guy with a Subaru, like just parked out in the market or whatever. Definitely park next to him, and then if they're anywhere near the car, a conversation strikes up, and I'm usually about an hour late to whatever I was doing because I just end up talking yeah. to him yeah. about their car. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, never get me started. You know, I, I'm the same. I, I've many a time been late home or late to a meeting or something because uh, yeah, suddenly sparked up the conversation about driver training or motorsport in general. Uh, you end up putting the world to rights and so on and so forth. But yeah, here in the UK, I mean, you used to see a Subaru every every 10 or 15 miles. You know, that they, they were quite commonplace. Uh, but over the last, I would have said five five years or so, they've really thinned out. So it's very rare that you actually see one. Um, which is a shame. That is my reason for, for bringing that side of it up. Yeah. Well, I know things are cyclical, and you know they they were really popular over there in the late '90s and early 2000s. And uh, yeah. I think it might have to kind of go through a low point, a dormancy phase. But the people that were really enthusiastic about them in the 90s and 2000s at some point will come back and we'll want those again um they're definitely making a yeah. comeback here especially those first generation subarus yeah i mean that's i mean i had a uh, i guess what you would class as a, a phase two um so it was the the later of the classics um but it was great you know i had that for quite a long time but i've had since then many others and many other different types of subaru you know i've had outbacks foresters legacies <laughs> uh, rally car, uh, quite a few different, um, a few different types. So the first one you when you were twenty four years old, you had your first Subaru Impreza. Yeah, yeah. Was that a turbo model? Exactly. It was a turbo model. Uh, here in the UK, they call it the um, the Turbo Two Thousand model. It had the uh, the TDO four, fairly, fairly low in power. You know, I would have said that it were extremely powerful, um, but uh, fairly soft and impressive compared to the Japanese market. But very reliable. I had a great time with it. It never left us down. Um, many modifications, you know, as you do, sort of making it look good. It didn't really go any faster, but uh, it certainly made it look quite nice and uh, give us many, many happy miles. But, yeah. I think I went from there. Uh, we had a uh, had our first child. Went from there to a forester, as you do, you know, and we keep the same sort of performance and <laughs> make sure everything fits in. Yeah. Yeah, whilst I had the Forester, in fact, I, I, I gave that to my other half at the time. And uh, I took on a version 3 SPI uh, Japanese import, which was astonishing. It was a brilliant car. And that's where I really started getting stuck into the uh, the nuts and bolts of the machinery. I spent a lot of time playing around with um, with the turbo, um, purely because of mapping issues that I'd had. Uh, you know, getting rid of things like wastegate creep, uh, boost creep. Yep. Um, we had compressor surge, all sorts of different little things. So um, came up with a very simplistic system of almost pairing the turbo to the engine uh, in a way of gas flow, um, which worked quite well with what I was doing at the time. You know, I was working as an aircraft engineer um, in the Royal Air Force, so uh, I had lots of experience with things like gas flow. And, uh, it was quite a simplistic thing for me, I suppose, at the time. It made sense. So a little bit of coursing here and there and altering the size of intake pipes and whatnot, and before you know it, if you get a little VS35 uh, turbo, which is what I fit onto it at the time, uh, it's meant to only be able to produce about 320 horsepower, but we had it right up to about 360 with no no extra boost, you know, so it was running so a 360 horsepower with um, 1.4 bar of boost, which I thought was quite uh, quite reasonable, really. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And it was um, it was quick, uh, quarter mile car. Yeah. A lot of people go to the dyno uh, to see the improvements made in the car. I used to go to the dyno and take it to a, a drag strip. So, uh, you know, I was quite quite comfortable in the drag strip and I could do things fairly consistently. 
so it was usually a, a better way for me to actually see real life performance uh, increase. And yeah. Have that uh, three that three hundred and sixty horsepower car would do um, an eleven eight dead at Santa Party in the UK, which was uh, astonishing, and that was on road tires, you know. And at that moment in time, I didn't really know that much about, um, you know, how, how to set the car up for drag racing. So I didn't do anything with tire pressures. That was with street pressures, uh, you know, a street tire. And uh, yeah, it was probably the fifth, fifth one of the day, and we were in the 11th, and it was just, it was brilliant. <laughs> that's fabulous. That's like, uh, yeah, that's like Dodge Viper kind of numbers. It's Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're interested, I can I can send you across the YouTube links and that later. It was uh, that, that was actually an ultimate streetcar that Santa Pod in 2010, where I was the fourth fastest that had roughly half the horsepower of the cars that were in front of me. Wow! Yeah, it's, it's light, incredible. Vehicle, all-wheel drive. <laughs> They're brilliant. Um, do you think in nine, uh, what, what was it doing? In 200 meters, we were doing about 90, 95 miles an hour, you know, which for a streetcar is just astonishing. Yeah. Absolutely astonishing. Um, the 60 feet was 1.68 seconds or something like that. It was really, really quick. Oh, wow. I know they're not, they're, they're, they're not astonishing figures by what's achievable at, you know, the top end um, of uh, where the high performance tuning guys can get that right down. But, um, you know, for me, doing all the work on my own driveway, having watched some of your videos and, and getting the car up to speed again. It was, uh, it was for me, very rewarding. <laughs> so how did this end up, uh, how did you end up getting into the in instructor roles? I guess you, so you have the Subarus, and actually let's step back before I get into the instructor thing. So you own some Subarus, yeah. you were inspired by watching some motorsports. What, and you did some drag racing, it sounds like. Uh, was drag racing the first motorsport uh, uh, organized yeah, professional event you got involved in or is there what walk us through the very first steps into motorsports for, some, for maybe some of the audience members who have never done any more sports but they're very interested in it I think if I knew if I knew then what I know now it would have been a lot easier um, I think the biggest issue with uh, like getting into motorsport not not to digress too much is I think there's a, a severe lack of information across the board uh, it should be, especially in this day and age, you know, you should be able to pick up like a, a QR code from somewhere, you know, take a picture of it and then all of the information you need will be there in front of you. A uh, step-by-step process of how, how to go from a, a road driver to a race driver. Uh, but that, that isn't there. And where it is, it, it quite often conflicts with other information. So it needs to be, I think that, that needs to be addressed. But how I did it was like the long way around. I had to wait quite some time until I had the uh, until I had the money to do it, you know, properly. Uh, initially, I would go to things like track days, uh, quite often with other people's cars, you know. So you jump in and share the cost of the track day, and uh, and do things that way. I used to, um, in fact, they used to run or help run the Subaru Impreza Drivers Club here in the UK and here in Oxfordshire. And with that, we used to organise various events, and you ended up getting the opportunity of bringing, you know, several different cars. You know, I've, I've been sat sat in um, at the early years, lots of sieges, as well as um, you know, high performance Subaru, um, whilst we were uh, doing those days. But you know, from there, I've dabbled in many different things. Uh, so you've got the track side, the um, the drag racing side. It's probably something that I spent more time doing, purely because it was, you know, as a sport, it's very cheap. It's a lot cheaper than track days, and it's easy to get into. You know, and the, the, you don't have to learn anything about corners. You don't have to learn anything about um, you know the dynamics of the car really. 
but what it does teach you is how to get off the line really quick. So it's a great starting point. You know, so if you ever want to practice your starts, you know, get into drag racing. That's uh, it's a great way of learning that. So it's one of the very first things I picked up. The rest really followed a little bit back to front. Um, you know, I started building my own rally car, um, which I'm sure we'll get into in more detail in a bit, which was a version 3 STI. Uh, it was a Type R, actually. That was a two-door. A beautiful car. But whilst I was building the car and getting my race license servicing for the rally side of things, I started doing um, instructing for um, a Subaru uh, rally experience crew here in the UK. And that was before I started competing, which I found extremely useful. Even though I wasn't driving the car so much, you know, you're sat next to guys that maybe never done it before. And through, um, you know, that teaching process, you actually learn a hell of a lot yourself. And at the very start, you know, it gave me a massive fast forward. It gave me a huge boost of knowledge and, uh, and information that I could use as, uh, as I entered into the sport. And I say that was about 10 years ago now. Wow. <clears throat> That's awesome. <clears throat> so sharing, sharing uh, the cost for track day, uh, helping out other people that have already kind of established programs, if you can kind of get involved in helping other teams out uh, in drag racing. Yeah. Yeah, those are three great first steps to kind of get involved in motorsports. And, and I never really thought about drag racing kind of in those terms that there's no, I mean, obviously there's no turning and braking, but that, it, that means that there's so much less you have to know about the mechanical side of the car and the, the dynamics of, of uh, suspension yeah. and things like that. It's, so, it's a lot less to think about with drag racing. Yeah. Yeah, I think the big thing that I took away from drag racing really was um, understanding, you know, how to get the car off the line smoothly and cleanly, especially with a, you know, a recharged car. Because it can be quite hard, um, you know, without the assistance of launch control. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you can't get the turbo up to spool, uh, you know, so you've got a fairly large turbo, uh, for example, but not, not to bring the old Subaru Evil battle up. And there was a 640 brake horsepower um, Evo next to me at the line on one of the runs. It had a massive turbo, but he had no launch control. And, uh, you know, by the time I was at the eighth mile, he was still back at the start almost. <laughs> it was, um, but then obviously once that car was up and spooled, it would have passed me like I was still, but it takes time to get there. So it's finding a balance, I suppose. Yeah. You know, most of my car... Most of my car's energy was used up by the eighth of a mile. It really struggled. You know, I think in the first 200 meters, I get up to 90 miles an hour, 95 miles an hour. I crossed the line at 111 miles an hour, you know, uh, which is nothing. <laughs> you know, so the other cars that are crossing the line at um, 11, you know, 11, 8 or 12 seconds, they were well above. They were up in the 120s, 130s. So it just shows you what the difference in power is. Yeah, yeah, the top speed is often that horsepower number. But the time has a lot to do with all the other factors, like you know, launching and yeah. Yeah, so launching was a big one, and um, you know, trying to figure out uh, what was the best way of using the power against the clutch, and uh, obviously tires play a big part in that. I know a lot more about that now than what I did before. So you know, different compounds and tire pressures play a huge part as well as suspension. Um, but the other thing was changing gear, you know, and understanding how and when uh, to change gear to try and maximise your uh, your torque. Uh, especially at the lower end, you know, when you're going out sort of first, second, third, until you're actually using the, the sort of horsepower of the car later on. Um, yeah, it was it was very beneficial from that side of things, definitely. Yeah, that definitely. That's a good point too. Uh, when to shift and where to keep the engine in its maximum, you know, horsepower and torque output range, yeah. uh, because that's something you can carry over into the into the twisties and those kind of courses too. 
well, in, into any you know into any sport really. If you understand, um, you know, the, those sim- it sounds fairly simplistic, but if you understand them, it, it aids you in any other sport. You know, you, you have to remember that regardless of rally or circuit racing or rally cross or whatever it is that you do. Um, you're trying to get from point to point as quick as possible, and there's many different things that get in the way of that. You know, and uh, you know, just simple things like gear changes are one of those. Uh, it's um, knowing when and how. It's, it's all very well and good just going flat out and pulling another gear, but it might not be the best way of doing it at that moment. So, being able to feel and understand what to do and when to do it is, is a crucial part of you. Yeah, absolutely interesting. I imagine that even as you get to the highest levels of performance you can actually, there's diminishing returns there, but you can still constantly refine exactly when those shift points are and when you, when you, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, when you enter this next turn, things like that. Hmm. Well, absolutely. You know, you think you, you know, you've got these cars now, you know, rallycross car, for example, the world supercar rallycross car is kicking out, what, 600 horsepower and 1,000 newton meters of torque, which is astounding and astonishing figures. Uh, but uh, even on tarmac, those, those power figures, you'd struggle to put all of that power down um, if you were just to give it all, you know. So yeah. and it's not the most effective, you know, it's not the most effective way of using it all. So you quite often see, um, it's, it's like riding on a knife edge, I suppose. When you've got that much power, it's very easy to do too much or too little. Um, it's almost like taking a, you know, a road car onto a very low grip surface, like a field, you know, and expecting it to perform. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, it's quite hard for them to, to get that exact sweet spot they need to get the car on quickly. So there's usually quite a, ver- a variety of uh, different approaches, different lines. Yeah. Very interesting to watch. And that's where the driver's skill and ability comes in. And that's where oh, absolutely. somebody like a coach really helps, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a hell of a lot of drivers out there, you know, and I'm not, not really ashamed to say it because I watch them all the time. You know, it's one of my, one of my passions really is, um, you know, try and apply everything that I've learned to uh, to observing and watching what others do as well. You know, I'm always learning all the time. And it's incredible, you know, how much you see that, you know, people are very talented, but if they've never had like a single point of learning or somebody explain, you know, what's actually going on, how some very capable and able drivers make very simplistic mistakes. You know, that's not me being negative about them in any way. It's just the fact that they don't know. You know, they, they have different parts of their driving system is um, is missing or, or misunderstood. They've never had it explained to them in a way that they understand. Uh, so, yeah, you do get drivers that fall out of that into a car and they do extremely well. Uh, but there's still a lot to learn. Uh, that never stops. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I often think, I work in uh, professionally as a hydrogeologist and I work in an industry where we're constantly training young staff members, young engineers. And I try yeah. to impress on people that the value of getting instruction from a mentor, from somebody that's already seen it and done it, as far as the time savings yeah. and the, and the uh, productivity savings is immense. It's often, I think it's somewhere 10x range where you might spend 10 hours trying to figure something out that somebody else could show you how to do in one hour, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, and there's, there's many different areas and levels of that as well. But you have to be very careful that, that the person who's doing the mentoring um, has a sound knowledge and understanding themselves, you know, so that's something I'm very, very keen to uh, to try and bring into the sport. It seems to be very few and far between that people take coaching very seriously. And I don't just mean that from a competitive level, I mean that from from a training, you know, sort of level. Uh, I've dedicated sort of in excess of 10 years of my life now to getting to where I am, but it's an ever-evolving thing. And I take it very, very seriously. 
so that the depth of information is now massive. Um, you know, through, through what I was working with on year one, um, ten years in, it's huge. I feel like an encyclopedia. <laughs> um, the things that you can focus on and change and tweak and uh, you know and alter a lot of the things. They aren't intuitive. They're things that have uh, you know that have been uncovered over time. And uh, repeating certain systems with drivers, be it a novice or a professional, over and over and over again, many, many times to see how and why it works. And by picking it away and shipping it away like that and then testing it against other people, you come up with a tried and tested, proven uh, system of learning. You know, you're never really, what I don't try and do is, is show a driver how to drive. I try and get it to make sense to them so that they can drive themselves. You know, it's... Uh, I think it's very rude to sit next to somebody and say, this is how you should do it. And what I do is I say, here's a bandwidth of physics. Here's a bandwidth of your own sort of, um, your own ability. And we need to try and make the two match up in a way that it makes sense to you. And uh, it's interesting because no two people view the outside world the same way. And Absolutely. no two people interact with the car the same way. Huh, and, yeah. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah. yep. It's 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 uh, developing a plan that's centric to the individual that needs to do to have the learning. Correct. It's almost yeah, like I, so I try to have aha moments. I don't want people memorizing things. I want people to f stumble onto the insight themselves, <laughs> yeah. and have that aha moment. Because yeah. when you have an aha moment, yeah. it's almost like you carry it forward for the rest of your life. It changes your thinking from that point forward. Of course it does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I had a you know you, a great example of that, and I use this example many, many, many times with uh, with the driving students I have about that aha moment you talk about. Uh, had a driver, I'm not, I'm not the name names, came all the way from Australia, and uh, I was with him for four days uh, in four-wheel drive. He was in a Subaru, and he'd been over in Finland the year before for seven days with, um, with another uh, coach and instructor, I believe was a, or certainly might still be a current um, WRC driver, but I don't know who it was. Uh, but the systems that he had in place uh, were, were entirely wrong. I'm not saying that the WRC drivers were wrong, but this particular driver's systems were very wrong. And so I was trying to make him see where it was wrong and how to fix it. And it took him three and a half days before the penny dropped and we had that aha moment. But it was really funny when he did get it because he stopped the car, got out the door, slammed the door, and then ran around with his hands in the air going, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and then once, once, <laughs> once he got it, uh, it was like magic, you know, everything else just fell into place beautifully, you know, like when, when you get like a run of Tetris right, you know, and clear the screen. It was just epic. So awesome. good to watch. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's a good moment. That's a good moment. <clears throat> it is huge. Yeah. You know, I use that quite a lot. It's um, very memorable. But yeah, you do get them. Some people are more sort of verbal uh, and open about it than others. Other people are like... They're like machines, you know, you, you put something up in front of them and they just knock it down straight away and move on to the next thing, which is, is really cool. But I think you get more of a reward from people who have, have, you know, they have to fight to get to that point. You know, and you've got the patience and the, um, the stamina to sort of stick with them, encourage them and get, to, you know, get them to that point. You've, I've had people say to me, well, how do they say, you're, you're annoyingly patient. <laughs> to the point where they get really annoyed with themselves before um before I ever would, you know. It's, uh, I think it's a good way, a good way to be. I think that's an exceptional way to be as a coach and a mentor. Yeah, that's it's the way you got to be. definitely a skill. That's definitely a skill. That. Yeah, I, I, I don't I know most people have to. I just seem to have been born with it. Yeah, I've always been, always been patient when it comes to these, these sort of things. Yeah. 
<laughs> I got mm. a lot of guys out there who probably taught their wives or girlfriends how to drive clutch are chuckling right now. I'm actually, I just got I done with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good uh, exercise to tell patients. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. My girlfriend just got a, a stick shift Forrester XT and, uh, yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 yeah. Right there. Right there with you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's, I, I dare say there's not many people, uh, you know, in, in the States now that would drive stick. Uh, I've found it seems to be more, more commonplace to have an automatic than, uh, than stick. But over here, so the way around, everybody drives manual. Yeah, it's a, it's a very uh, disheartening trend we're seeing out here in the United States. It's, it's not good. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think with increasing uh, numbers of cars on the road, I think it's more, desi- more desirable, certainly over here now. Uh, for people to have automatics and see more people going that way now uh, here to be fair yeah yeah stop stop start city traffic you don't want to be on an office latch every two seconds do you so yeah 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 i know it's it's a soapbox for another time basically I, there's actually some I think so, yeah. for saving the manual gearbox organization that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a church out think, here right they, we got a church for that yeah <laughs> The Preservation Society. I believe it. Yeah, there is. Yep. I think if you look for it on social media, there's uh, there's plenty of hashtags and groups uh, all about saving the manual transmission. Yeah. Oh yeah. Quite, quite often see them pop up on social media. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned how seriously you take your training and your certification. Uh, at the top of the interview, I read, I read off some of your qualifications, one, a couple of them being the BARS grade S and the MSA level two certified coach. But I actually, to be honest, I don't know what that really means. And I bet a lot of the audience members out there don't really know what those certs mean. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what the BARS grade S is? Say level two yeah, certified. sure. I mean, you know, when you're getting into, uh, I think this goes back to, I probably digressed away from one of your other questions really and didn't, didn't actually answer it. But. Um, when you're saying about getting into uh, into motorsport, uh, in the rally side of things uh, in the UK, we have what we call the British Association of Rally Schools, which is a, a group of schools that all work to uh, you know standardised system of um, you know getting somebody from a street a street driver or somebody perhaps does a bit of track track day and work um, into the sport. Um, so it's primarily an information based. Uh, test that you do as a bar as a bar level S instructor is the one that is authorized to uh, to give you a license and perhaps train other instructors. Uh, so they're at the uh, the top end the top end of the tree, so as high as you can go. Really. Um, so they're they're really responsible for the standard of training delivered to those uh, to those students uh, to those drivers. And the um, the other thing the uh, what you say the for uh, UK. Yeah, so we don't have the MSA anymore. It's renamed, rebadged itself to Motorsport UK. So it'll take a little bit of time to uh, to have that catch up. I think I still say MSA myself. Uh, that was a, a coaching course that I went into myself upon purely because they uh, they had it. And um, what that then does is certify you to a standard uh, within the Motorsport industry that you can deliver training, um, and it, it encompasses everything really, not just uh, rally, uh, more circuit based. The, co- the course was really. Uh, purely because the amount of uh, circuit instructors they have here in the UK, but I brought um, you know my experience into that and then tried to uh, to make it all work, make it fit, and it works very well. You now have a, a standardised. Uh, I can speak to tennis coaches and we talk the same language. <laughs> it's a fantastic tool. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so it just gives you that level of understanding of you know what coaching is, uh, why you do it, what what it improves, and what your goals are. And with that common language, you can you can probably talk to any coach, you know, so long as they have a similar sort of background or similar training, as mm-hmm. I assume they would have. Uh, you can you know it makes sense. But uh, yeah, basically, what those qualifications mean? It means that I have uh, you know a base level standardised training behind me I haven't just sort of woke up one day and said I want to be an instructor <laughs> I've actually gone out there and sought out uh, and achieved uh, you know various um, levels of um, qualification and certification to say that I'm you know I'm qualified in doing it but I think more valuable than that is my my experience really and what I've done beyond those qualifications it's yeah, certainly nice to have there to, uh, to fall back on to hmm. Well, having the actual skill sets and the, the the knowledge and wisdom that comes out of experience is something you can't ever get from a certification or a piece of paper. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh. You know, you, you could you could be the best qualified engineer on the planet, but um, you know, if you if you can't uh, back it up with experience and uh, real life application, then it, it really means nothing. I don't I don't think there's any any substitute for experience, really. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And uh, accumulation of experiences is what leads to wisdom and skill sets. And the faster you can get, mm. the, the better. That's why I'm often a person that likes to, I don't know, I, I like to put in more time than others a lot of time. Because if others are putting eight or 10 hours in, I can pull 16 hours or 18 hours in something. And I can gain that accumulation of experiences in, in seat time. And I'm not just referring to like mm. cars to seat time. To me, everything is seat time. If I learn to ski, it's all about the seat time. I need to get to a thousand hours as quickly as possible. And if I can do that by putting in long hours and seven days a week, I'd do it, you know? Um, it's like yeah, that in everything in life. Um, okay, so London, I was also gonna ask, uh, following up on the certifications and qualifications, I know you spent some time at the London Rally School, and I don't think you're actually- That's there right, anymore. yeah. Uh, no, I'm not there anymore, but I was there for four years as their, uh, as their chief instructor, which was um, fantastic, you know, so uh, five or six days a week able to apply and uh, develop my skills uh, was just immense you know you're working with drivers from all over the world uh, from all different sort of uh, walks of life you know so people who are there for like stag dudes and hen parties all the way through to people who compete for maybe 20 or 30 years and developing their skills further it was um, it was very rewarding and a great place a great place to be really how did you land there what is the story that uh, brought you to the land? <laughs> That was well, I was um, at the end of my uh, my time uh, in the RAF, which, uh, you know, whilst I was in the RAF, I was also doing, um, you know, in my free time at the weekends, uh, the old day here and there, uh, instructing. And one of the places that I was instructing uh, was at this London Rally School. And um, towards the end of my time, uh, the uh, the father of the business, um, Chris uh, Chris Woodmore, he, uh, he approached me and offered me for their job and he said would you like to come here and work full time for us and uh, you know I snapped their arm off basically and said yes I'd love that <laughs> and I, I sat there with them for, uh, for four years yeah it was great fantastic you know they had a mixture of cars they had the Subarus the Evos the, uh, the Mark II Escorts the, the Peugeot 206 um, cup cars brilliant little cars um, and as I said you know day in day out been able to work with people from all walks of life all over the world uh, and um, and develop and improve them all. You know, so I don't think there's any a time where somebody left, you know, with less less ability than when they arrived. <laughs> 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 you know, that's that's a, 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 
<laughs> yeah, it's massively rewarding. That's the that's the big thing. It's something that I really do genuinely enjoy. Is getting you know, maybe not so much um, just the people being able to do or understand uh, something better. Sometimes it's just about improving the confidence. You know. Yeah. Um, some some people don't have the confidence to, in fact, get up to the speed that the car needs to be at for it to start working in the first place. So uh, yeah, some, sometimes it's just about confidence. Then other times they have, you know, perhaps too much confidence. You need to calm them down a little bit, and you show them by going that little bit, that little bit slower actually makes you go that little bit faster. <laughs> so they're, yeah. not, they're not as I as I start saying the car, you're just wasting energy there. I talk everything in the car through about um, managing and controlling energy, especially when you're on the on a low grit surface. Yep. A little bit of uh, yeah, psychology involved in your job. Quite a bit of psychology involved in your job. It's yeah, it's huge. I, I, I would have said it's probably the largest part. Uh, the smallest part, uh, in fact, I would say is the technique side. Uh, the technique's probably the the smallest part, uh, and I say that quite comfortably now. Uh, the, the rest of it is really um, a mixture of psychology and biology. And usually, when I say biology, people raise an eyebrow. <laughs> is that what? What do you mean by uh, biology? But you have to think about your body designed to to operate as a like a, a bipedal uh, human human being. You know, you're upright, walking, moving around at a certain pace, and everything happens at a certain speed and within a you know natural speed bracket. You also have to remember that when it comes to driving, we're restricted to a very narrow window of physics. So you're you may be allowed to do 70 or 80 miles an hour, depending on where you are in the world on average. And that's as fast as you can go. Whereas the world of motorsport, that's very slow. You know, that's like moving around at 20 or 30 miles an hour for, uh, you know, an experienced motorsport driver. So you need to be able to train and adapt your body systems. Uh, so I'm talking about your sense of feel, your sense of vision, your hearing, all of those things to fit into all of those high-speed inputs, especially your vision. Um, yeah. There's many, many different things that you have to change and alter about yourself. But you have to understand them. You have to, you have to learn. Um, how to use them correctly, especially like your field of view. Uh, a lot of people don't understand how the field of view actually works, and you can actually train. Um, you can train yourself to adopt, um, you know, a better use of your field of view. But it takes time. You know, these things you're talking days and days and days of training uh, just to um, to relearn how to use your own body, which sounds really odd, but um, because we take it for granted, you, know, you go through life your body does things every day without you even realizing it's doing it. So you need to make yourself aware of them for, for starts. Um, and then, uh, you know, build up and develop some learning systems that you understand so that you can repeat them to the point where it makes sense to you. And again, that's, that in itself is quite rewarding. You get, you get quite big um, uh, <laughs> penny drop moments there where you're like, ah, I get that. Because it's like somebody switching on a big light in your head. But uh, things like the use of your peripheral vision, um, especially in rally, when you, you know you have to have almost a freedom of movement of uh, rotating your head uh, round about sort of whatever the um, frontal head restraints your um, your hands and uh, Simpson devices will allow you to rotate round that. It's quite a restrictive movement on your head for some uh, some cases. And uh, when you've got these big slides, these big hairpin corners, it's quite hard to just turn your eyes to pick out the exit. You, know, you need to actually rotate your head away from where the windscreen is. And for some people, it's quite disorientating, and that's where the uh, the use of your peripheral vision really comes into play. If you learn to trust your peripheral vision and actually pull information from that, it gives you that better freedom of view when uh, when these cars are in big slides. And a lot of people do it without even realising they're doing it; they're just comfortable doing it. But, you know, I find that it's better if you want to master something, you have to understand how it works. 
And uh, if you're not, if you don't understand how it works, then I, I don't see how you can develop or progress it further. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, without understanding how it works, you don't really understand its maximum capability. And, and then if you don't yeah. understand the maximum capability, you'll never reach your full potential. Because that's what a lot of this is about. Uh, either if it's from a psychology side or from the biology side or from the skills side, it's all about reaching yeah. the full potential for what your, uh, what your individual is looking to you for, you know, looking for. I mean, it's, it sounds really mean to say, but, you know, you say full potential. I, I feel that, you know, from the experience that I've had with drivers um, here, hey, well, I say here, it's not limited to the UK, they've been from all over the world, but full potential is something I, I feel is like, a, it's like a holy grail. I don't think you'll ever find it. <laughs> no, I agree, because um, I feel like it may be a lot further out than most people realize, too. It's a, of course it is. not a defined yeah. line. It's a gray line that nobody really knows how far it is. And then you, you hear stories from people that are exceptional and have done exceptional things. And you, I have to wonder, is everybody capable of those things? If they would have just uh, pushed themselves that far or, you know, there's only so much that the biology limits you to, uh, the mind, your mindset is really the thing that can take you a long ways, I think. Yeah. I mean, I quite often describe to people about, um, you know, you're trying to, uh, to reach that, that finite point and they're like yeah i want to be as good as i can be and I said, that's great it's a good attitude to have but with that you never stop learning but what i say to them is that if you imagine your perception of driving or your current understanding of driving right now is like having a i don't know like a 20 piece jigsaw puzzle that you haven't got all the bits you've got enough bits to uh, to see what the picture is so you can make up what the picture is going to be but you haven't got anywhere near all the bits to, uh, to fill it in and as you start delving into training and coaching you find that the number of pieces within that jigsaw puzzle starts to grow and you, you go from having like a 20 piece jigsaw puzzle to maybe a 200 piece and then a, a, a 2000 piece and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But with that, it's not so much, it's becoming, um, you know, harder to see what the image is. In fact, the, the image is becoming clearer. Uh, it's just there's more bits that you realize there is to fill in that, <laughs> fill in that puzzle. But you'll always have that annoying bit that's either stuck in the loft or down the back of the sofa that, that, that you'll never find. You know, it doesn't matter with how much help or, uh, whatever you do, there's always going to be something missing from that picture. But what you're trying to do ultimately is fill in as many of the gaps as you possibly can. And then with that, your ability grows. You know, it's, I think it's very foolish for anyone to say that you can get to a point where you, you don't learn anything anymore. Because I, I just think that's wrong. I totally agree. That's it's, it's never ending. Yeah, it never stops. I love the puzzle analogy. What a wonderful, wonderful analogy. Uh, with Because as you develop an understanding of how tires work and tire compounds and suspension systems, yeah. all the mechanical systems. That to me makes perfect sense with this puzzle analogy because it doesn't make the, the picture fuzzier or more, it just makes it, there's more moving pieces, but it actually defines the image even closer. Yeah, yeah that's really I interesting. Think, I think ultimately what we're trying to say there maybe overcomplicates it a bit, but all I'm trying to say is that the, the deeper you dig and the more you realize, uh, you know, the more you understand about the sport, the more you understand about the physics and psychology and the biology, you start to realize very quickly there's a lot more uh, to learn. You know, it doesn't just stop there for every one new thing that you find. You know, there might be 10 or 20 things behind that that you learn, um, you know, to, to make the most of that information. So, uh, yeah, the deeper you go, the, the, the more broad, um, broad brush that becomes. It's, um, yeah, it's fascinating as well. As, you know, as a trainer, as a coach, uh, the deeper I go into things, you know, you start thinking, oh, I wonder what happens if you do that there. 
you know, and you really start getting the green the green matter working, and then that's really the scenario that I like to be in for the next the next student. You know, if you've got something new, I quite often chuck it into the mix when I'm when I'm doing my next training session. So it's yeah, it's fun. It is fun, ever evolving, as we say, ever yeah. evolving. Is there a uh, kind of shifting a little bit here? Is there a specific uh, motorsport you like training more than other sports? Uh, not really, purely because, you know, it's just going, yeah. again, sound very odd. I, I don't separate motorsport anymore. Interesting. Uh, I see no divide. I, I see no divide between circuit racing and rally driving at all. Um, and I'll explain as to why. Uh, if you think about um, you sat there on the circuit, uh, you know, looking out the car, um, ahead of you and you've got the, uh, you know, the, the racetrack, the other cars around you. And then you were to um, perhaps be sat in the rally car looking at the stage, the stage start through a, a forest gravel stage. What's the only difference between the two, really? The only real difference between the two? It's like the setting, I guess. The, the context, the almost. How much traction you might have at a given point. With Yeah, it's purely that. It's just the, it's the amount of grip that changes. So, you know, for me, from a training side, I like the driver to have a, a full understanding and appreciation of what the car is capable of through its full spectrum um, of grip. So, if you imagine a scenario where you've got someone who's raced on very dry, sticky tarmac their whole lives, and you take them from that scenario and put them into a forest rally stage in the same drive train of car. So, you know, it might be a four-wheel drive guy, might be a, a Subaru guy. You'll find it very difficult because none of the physics makes sense. And driving, as I'm sure you're both aware, driving a four-wheel drive car in a very high-grip scenario is very different to driving it in a very low-grip scenario. Uh, in fact, it's massively counterintuitive for a lot of people. So uh, the other way around, if you have a rally driver, you know, for their, um, their first time on track, they might find it quite easy. However, they're still missing part of the puzzle because they don't have the same high-speed and smooth line approach. So they might be very good with the car control, but at the same time, they might not be very good at finding clean lines and actually uh, making the most of the, uh, the high grip. So by combining the two, you actually come up with a better, more complete, uh, more complete driver. So a lot of the drivers I work with are both sides of the fence. And again, that uh, massively helps my knowledge. Um, and then I can pass that on to, uh, to others. You know, for example, as a, a junior rallycross driver that I work with now, I've been with him now all races at least. A uh, young chap called Alfie Porter. He's only 16 years old, doesn't drive on the road yet, but within four races, he's gone from being fairly bottom end. You know, he's just bear in mind, he, he still looks at the gear stick, this young lad, when he's changing gear. He knows he shouldn't do it. He's probably going to listen to this at some point, but he knows I, I speak to him about it. Um, but uh, he's now probably on pace, if not just off pace, of the front the front runners in his, um, in his series. And that's in the case of four days. You imagine what it's going to be like by the end of the year if he keeps this progress up. So, you know, it, it does work. It's a fantastic thing to work with, really. Yeah, you know, the, the rallycross scenario there, um, I suppose where I was getting at, is they, they deal with both, you know, that they're on gravel and tarmac. So trying to get that information across as early as possible, you know. So young lad there, 16 years old. He's now got the understanding of what the car does on the gravel and knows to switch the techniques when he gets onto the uh, onto the tarmac. So he's very, very, <laughs> very fast on the tarmac. Um, so the confidence levels, I guess, need to uh, need to be improved on the uh, on the gravel there. But he every single time that he gets in the car, he makes massive leaps forward. You know, huge, huge leaps forward, especially if he's out there by himself. 
not he's not got me sat next to him while he's out competing. He's just out there by himself, listening to what I've had to say. And you can actually see him applying it, you know. And when you're out there watching him, you think, yes, he's actually listening to me. Look at him go. <laughs> you know, that's, it's just fantastic to uh, fantastic to see. So he takes it very seriously. But having that full broad spectrum there of, um, you know, understanding what a car is capable of and what you're capable of as a driver on a high grip surface and a low grip surface uh, is very important. And for that reason and that reason alone, I do not separate. You know, if you've got... Um, I don't know, you've got an 800 horsepower track car and you're going around, you know, 800 horsepower with, um, you know, modern rubber, even in the stickiest of conditions, will come unstuck at some point and uh, you'll find yourself in a bit of a slide. If you don't know what to do, I mean, you haven't got a system there, a reaction already formed. You know, if it's not there as a reaction, chances are you won't get it corrected quick enough. If you have to think about it at all, it takes too long. So, uh, yeah, I, I teach both. So the circuit racers get um, a lot of low grip training, and the uh, the rally drivers get a lot of high grip training if they can help it. Yeah, that makes sense. It works both ways. Yeah. So since there's no bias in the different types of motorsports, really, I mean, I guess everybody you're filling in the gaps for wherever they're coming from. Um, yeah, it's not even so much of the gaps in you know the different genres of sport it's, it's more of the gaps within themselves uh, you know the gaps in knowledge the gaps in understanding um, giving them new information to play with because like one new one tiny little bit of information can open up a whole new world of um you know progression and development for a driver it doesn't necessarily have to be anything you know particularly astounding it can just be one very small thing that they've completely overlooked for the you know for the whole career and then all of a sudden they've now got like a year two three four five years worth of uh, development to uh, to work on just from that one little bit of information um it's uh yeah it's interesting to see how it evolves really how about um have you been in any crashes any really interesting uh rollovers or crashes no uh i've I've been very good with that so far. Touch wood. I'm looking for a big bit of wood now. Uh, <laughs> I'm knocking on. I'm knocking, yeah, on, knocking on a lot of wood. Yeah, we're all knocking on wood here. Yeah, yeah. Not um, not trying to encourage that one. It's one of the. I suppose one of the things that I try and achieve through coaching and proper training um, is that you're also trying to limit risk and minimise risk. You know, you've got a lot of guys there that go out into the sport. Like, for example, going back to the uh, you know the entry level into rally, you get your bars test, you get that out of the way. Once you've got your licence, after doing that test, which you can achieve within a day, you can then go out and compete. Now, you know, you could have well, any car under the sun, really. You know, so long as you've got the money to run it, you could, you could actually go out there and compete it. Um, but if you've got no knowledge and you don't know what you're doing, there's a high risk, in my opinion, of you going out there and having a nasty accident or you know, certainly spending and wasting a lot of money uh, through uh, repair bills and perhaps not finishing a rally. So what I try and do is give people uh, enough information so they can go out there and manage their own ability for the first few races and then um, have things make sense to them in a, in, in a logical manner rather than trying to go out and um, do it willy-nilly, uh, having it um, trial and error. Yeah, yeah so I imagine. I think from my point of view. Sorry, go on. In your walk of life, you see all different types of people with all different types of vehicles. I'm sure you've probably had some yeah. guys come to you with really high horsepower cars that were really way too much car for the individual, and they probably mm -hmm. wanted you to teach them how to drive their 800 horsepower car or something. And I would, I would, if I were yeah. you, I'd probably feel a little uncomfortable in those situations. 
<laughs> it's it's a weird part of me, I suppose, like my patients. I've never really had that. Um, I've never had that fear. Uh, I suppose it, it comes from uh, maybe, I don't know, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of just being sat next to complete strangers in different scenarios. You start to build up, a, not complacency, but a certain comfort uh, with, for one, the information that I'm giving across, knowing whether they've taken it on board or not. So you can then sort of reel them back in again. Uh, if you need to, uh, a lot of it can be done verbally. Uh, you know, I have had very small crashes. You know, he's having very uh, minor impacts with trees here and there. Never any injuries. Yeah. I think in the in the four years that was at the rally school, we've had maybe I would like to say one a year. You know, and when you think that perhaps in a year there's anywhere between 800 and 1,000 drivers who go through that place, uh, but I think that's pretty good going. <laughs> Uh, you know, never any big act. So try and avoid it. Ultimately, you, know, you hear a lot of things where you say, if you're not, if you're not going fast enough to have a crash, you're not, you're not trying hard enough. And I, I don't like that attitude. I think uh, if you know what you're doing and you're comfortable and confident with the physics and, you know, your own ability, you'll get around quicker anyway, uh, and you'll get around safer. You know, you don't go fast by being fast. Yeah. Come up with a very, a very, a very simplistic sort of three-part rule of what makes you fast as a driver. One is knowing how much grip you have. Two is knowing what to do with it. And three is knowing the limits of your ability to process that information. Um, if you stick to that very simplistic three-part rule, you, you will get round. You will get round quickly. And uh, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't cause you any harm or any injury. Um, but uh, it's making sure that you do understand those three things. I love it. Uh, well, a lot, a lot of people try and drive fast to go fast. And when you've got, even when you've got a very high grip scenario, you find if you're right on the limit of what um, the tires will allow, going in even a mile an hour too quickly can cost you a hell of a lot of time. So it's not all about anybody can go fast in a straight line. It's the science is all in the corners. doesn't matter be it on circuit or in a rally car on, uh, on gravel. If you know how to process that information accurately with how much grip you have, and when I say grip, you know, you're taking into account everything. You know, you're talking about inclines, declines, cambers, um, ruts, jumps, and absolutely anything. If you can process all of that information whilst you're going around in real time and have it make complete sense to you, and then repeat that over and over again, that's where your trust comes from. You know, you need to be able to trust all of these things that you're asking the car to do. And the other way you can learn that is have a connection with the car. You need to be able to relay all of that information back through your body, you know, through your sense of feel. Yeah. So that you're seeing some, you, you know, you see something, you put an input into the car, you measure that input that you're putting into the car, and then you also have to feel and measure what you get from the car as a response for that. And that continues over and over and over again. You should never stop doing that. You need to always do that because it, it might evolve and grow. You know, if you kind of go, that's it. I don't need to change it anymore. Then you'll get caught out in the corner at some point. So you always have to be sort of aware of doing it. The beauty of it is if you repeat a system long enough, it becomes second nature to you. Yeah, absolutely. So even that process, yeah, even that process of um, you know gathering information and, and feeding that information through your through your brain through your body, that becomes a second nature. It becomes um, something you don't even have to think about. Which happens? Which, which when that point when you get to that point, you're you're actually processing and you're 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 enacting all the decisions faster, right? You actually can Correct. go through yeah, emotions quicker when it becomes second nature. Yeah, it's like anything else really in motorsport, in any motorsport. You're trying to train the subconscious. You're not really trying to train like a conscious cognitive thought process. You're trying to perhaps implement a, a cognitive 
um, like conscious thought process uh, in the start, so that you you understand what it is that you're trying to process, and then Absolutely. over time that then that becomes subconscious. The repetition leads to the muscle memory, and the muscle memory of course it does, but to like a series yeah. of movements, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But your um, your muscle memory has to be founded on accurate uh, information. So there's that um, there's that need for um, that, that information there again. So you yeah. know, repetition with repetition without it being correct. You know, this is where I, I get quite annoyed about uh, lap times and uh, you know, not lap times. So seat time. A lot of people cry about seat time. The more time in the car, the better. I say yes to a point. If you're going to develop by yourself, then seat time is really the only way to do it. But if you can imagine, you know, going out there and doing like a hundred laps on your own, what are you actually developing? What are you, you know, you might get braver in certain areas, but you've got no targets. You're not really going out there and setting yourself achievable goals. Whereas if you've got somebody sat next to you who knows what they're doing and can give you guidance that you need, you know, because, you know, somebody with experience can sit next to you and go, <clears throat> you know, you're weak in two or three areas. We can work on those straight away. That'll get you up to speed. But then there's 10 other things that we can look at beyond that. So you've got structured learning and you will develop much, much quicker. Rather than just having seat time, the seat time is very specific to what you need. And I think that goes back to what you said earlier, Luke, is the, um, you know, it, it takes the time away. It's far more efficient way of, uh, you know, developing yourself really is having somebody mentor you uh, with, uh, with factual information that will help you achieve the task. It doesn't matter whether, it, you know, whether it's rally or, or fishing or, you know, tennis, it doesn't matter. It could be anything. Yeah. No, I guess so. if like you're if you're developing bad habits, then seat time is not good, right? That's also what you're saying. Is That's what correct. You, you get you get better at being worse. Yeah. So you only want to be seat time is really only good when you're developing good habits. If you're developing bad habits, you need correct. to pause, step back, and figure out how to start redoing it and relearning it in the correct way. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. The annoying the annoying thing is that your your body will develop muscle memories, um, even if they're based on um, incorrect or yeah. you know misunderstood information. So. If you go out and spend, you know, a thousand laps going round and round, if the information that you're working with isn't accurate or isn't correct in line with what you're trying to achieve, your body will still store that as a reaction. Uh, so <clears throat> if you get to the point where, say, for example, you're, you're looking at, you know, how couch steel works in a slice, you know, when you're looking at a rear-wheel drive car in particular, not so much a Subaru, unless you've got a BRZ, um, you know, if you, if you haven't trained yourself to use couch steel correctly, the moment that you need it, uh, you can actually end up making a, a scenario much worse because of how your body's reacted in that particular scenario. You'll either over or under input and you'll end up either in a spin or uh, perhaps even, um, you know, drifting off into the, uh, into the ditch on the other side of the road. So uh, these systems have to be correct from the start so that you're building and developing your, um, your skill correctly. Uh, the last thing you want to do is have to undo a lot of work and a lot of time it's harder to undo you know, once it's there and it's ingrained in your brain. Absolutely. That gets where that term, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks comes from, really, is that that old dog has yeah. habits and patterns that are hard to break. <laughs> yeah, there is a science behind that psychology. You know, they, they reckon it can take up to, uh, I think, 21 days of repetitive training to instill a new muscle memory, you know, on top of one that already exists. Huh. Um, so if you imagine that as in you know expense and seat time just for one thing that's a lot of time so it's, it's well worth getting it right in the first instance and trying to build up um, you know build up these systems at the start ideally i mean you know, the, the best time to drive you know catch your driver 
with these uh, you know, useful bits of information right at the beginning, right at the start, so that they're starting off with you know, a bit of a a bit of a boost. You know, they're, they're not maybe going ten years down the line and thinking, well, I've plateaued now. You know, I can't go any faster on my own. But it's not a case of they just plateaued. They plateaued and built up ten years worth of perhaps you know false muscle memories, uh, which would need undoing. So really, you know, these these young kids that are getting into rally 14, 15, 16 years old. Uh, that's the best time to catch them, really. Uh, Absolutely. Give them some factual, factual information to work on because, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, they're going to be a far better driver than what they would have been if you did let them do it on their own. Well, it totally makes sense. I have a new insight and kind of a new appreciation of early coaching as, a de- as you're developing these patterns earlier in career. Absolutely. I actually found that too because, I mean, now, I'm not saying I'm, any, I'm good or I should be in any position to be teaching people, but with our little ro- local rally, rallycross series, I have a couple of people that come up to me every now and again and ask me for like tips and stuff. And yeah. I have a hard time with when somebody asks me a question on how to do something, I'll get in the car, I'll try to explain something to them, and then they'll tell me I'm wrong. And I'm like, <laughs> came up to me and asked me for help and like i'm consistently placing and doing better like time wise and just podium wise and stuff yeah yeah and then they're yeah. like no i think you should be doing it like this and they're like no 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 that's not how you do that and i'm like oh okay <laughs> all right <laughs> no I, I like i like to always refer back to the uh days of thunder in this one you say you do 12 laps your way and then it'll be 12 laps my way and uh see who's wrong awesome i, you know, I was like people now, what, what I don't do is I don't argue with people. You know, if people, you're going to have, you're always going to have those individuals where they um, they know better or, you know, the amount of times that I've had a, a customer turn up in a very high-powered road car and they're like, yeah, yeah, I've got a Subaru, I know what I'm doing. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You know, I always give people the benefit of the doubt, you know. And then when they get in the car and they maybe perhaps don't know what they're doing, I just let them continue to the point where, you know, you maybe get in the car to spin and lose control and the trees come a little bit closer each lap. And then there's that one moment where they go, actually, I'm going to listen to you now. Because the next time we have a spin, I'm going to hurt myself. <laughs> you know, I never let them get to the point where they're actually going to hurt themselves. But what I do like to, uh, to give them very quickly is an early uh, wake-up call, I guess, that they're showing themselves that they don't know what they're doing. And then when you start showing them how to do it, it, it's just taken on board a little bit better. Rather than you going, no, don't do it this way, don't do it that way. I think there's always a way into somebody's um, into somebody's head, and some people just need to trip themselves up first. I don't mean it in a nasty way; I just that's how they work, you know. Yeah. Um, so you right. always get those people that know that. You always get those people that know better. But yeah, don't ever be afraid of going. Well, you know, I'm five seconds a lap faster than you are, so I'm, you know, I'm right somewhere. If if you ask for my help, I've given you my help, and then you're going to say I'm wrong. Then you know, are you going to get any quicker? What I would suggest is perhaps go away and try it and see what happens. Yep. Yeah, definitely. It would be interesting to see what it is that they uh, they were told. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that approach of never arguing with anybody. I've I, I worked in a profession where I work with large groups of individuals with different skill sets and. There's yeah. it shuts down a person's ears quicker than getting defensive and feeling defensive. Oh, of course it does. Yeah, yeah. I don't like I don't like saying um, you know no, you're right or you're wrong. What I that, that's why I don't I don't tell people how to drive, and I, I never have. Um, 
what I try and do is uh, show people that you have, you know, if you had 100 people, for example, you know, they're all coming to be rally drivers. You have 100 people there. You've got a bandwidth of physics that's usable, you know, but it's, it's quite a narrow bandwidth of physics. But so long as you can get them all to work within that narrow bandwidth of physics, it doesn't matter if they all break at the same time or turn at the same time. So long as they understand what the limits are. And that's what gives the uh, the sport its uh, variety, of course, because we're, it comes back to you all um, as drivers interpreting the outside world in different ways and being able to process that information in uh, different ways and at different speeds is what gives us the variety. The physics pretty much stays the same. You know, if you're in the same car on the same tire on the same surface, there's not much that changes there. But what does change is the bit behind the wheel. And uh, all I ever do is try and show a driver what the car is capable of in relation to the outside world. Um, and obviously what they're capable of as a driver. And if they know what those limits are, they get around a bit quicker, they get around a bit safer. And uh, all of those 100 drivers that we talked about, you know, they, they might all be within a hundredth of a second of each other, you know, in ability, but they'll all do it in very different ways, so long as they're within that bandwidth of physics. You know, you're trying to encourage their own understanding, their own, um, their own ability in the car. Yeah. Well, it's not, as they say, it's not a sausage factory. You can't have 100 people come in through the door and have them all lead exactly the same. It'll never work that way. If you try and uh, try and achieve that, then you'll end up with one or two fast drivers and then 98 slow ones. You know, each and every driver needs their own unique um, training and system uh, developed for them. You might be lucky, you might find two drivers that are just alike. I mean, I've worked with crews, uh, you know, drivers and co-drivers that take turn and turn about. And uh, they've both been very, very different. Even though they sat in the same car and they're, they're processing all the same information, hmm. uh, they were completely, di completely different people. And how they interpreted things when it, you know, it was in a very different way. So they, they both needed a very different approach when it came to the uh, the coaching. This is a this is a, a a service area, I guess, where you really need individual coaching because it really needs to be custom developed plans for an individual and their psyche. Yeah. Area. You can't do and it in, in, individual definitely when when you when you're coming to uh, sort of proving the understanding of things over said individual was uh, was a must uh, i don't think there would be anything stopping you perhaps when it you know when it's uh, to do with the uh, the theory you know the information of the knowledge behind things you could have that as a group session there's no there's no reason as to why not yeah there will be some variance there in people's uh, perception and understanding of things but there's always many different ways you can put it across within a you know group or a class session so i always have that uh, check of understanding when i've when i've worked with a group of drivers but the beautiful thing is you can only ever be in one car at one time with one driver unless you've got uh, seats in the rear which is something i've never really worked with but when you're working uh, on an individual basis you're taking that knowledge that you've given them in perhaps a group session and then making sure that they've understood it as an individual and that's where you start to give them their own systems to work with so yeah you can pass the information with the knowledge across as a group but when it comes to actually proving that those systems work and they've got uh, you know a firm grasp of the understanding of what you told them that has to be done on an individual basis definitely yep uh, any, uh, oh, hi. Go ahead, I, I got one more. I got one more on this. What is the <laughs> most interesting, uh, I guess, teaching experience you've you've had within the past years? As like somebody like I don't know, like trying to like climb some hills or being stubborn or something, something like that. Uh, ooh, interesting teaching experience. Well. 
Do you mean in a like a negative way or like a like a does it matter whether it's a a negative or a positive one or well let's go positive. Let's go positive. Okay, well that's quite easy. Uh, I very recently had uh, a British uh, GT driver. Um, so we're talking um, very accomplished circuit racer here who competes. Uh, I'm not going to name names again because uh, I, I did say that I, I, right. I moved with this particular individual, but that's fine. Um, a driver that competes uh, in an Aston Martin within the British GT, uh, already a champion. They've already been at the top of the game. Uh, and um, yeah, I had the, uh, the privilege of working with that particular driver for four days. And what was achieved within those four days was just... Uh, magical is the only way to describe it so you're taking a driver outside of the comfort zone to the point where uh, they you know they've never actually really gone through uh, these processes or these um, you know low grip conditions in the same way as what uh, what i was doing uh, day one was like a a test of boundaries i suppose to see uh, what what could be done and what couldn't where the uh, the limits in confidence where the limits of ability were and very very quickly i could see that it wasn't so much a limit of ability it was definitely a of confidence. So by using uh, different venues, so the venue on day one was very tight, narrow, low grip, lots of trees around. Uh, we moved off in exactly the same vehicle to a very different venue where there was nothing uh, to hit. And we focused on very similar things uh, and uh, very close repetition systems to try and build the confidence in the, uh, the technique and the physics and uh, what was going on, trying to get some uh, firm practice and the thought process involved. Uh, and that was very successful. So by the end of day two, we ended up with a very high speed, very capable, very confident driver. But the only way to prove that was to go back to, uh, you know, the day one scenario with the, the tight, twisty, very low grip surface with trees all around. And uh, yeah, magic happened. So we were um, flying through this uh, forest rally stage uh, faster than I think I ever had in the past. But the, the thing that really sort of stood out was the driver in question was uh, very methodical very systematic the uh, they took on board all the information there was no arguments you know even though they were very accomplished very professional uh, you know uh, championship winning driver they never once questioned at all anything you were saying which for one i suppose gives you a little bit of confidence in such a way that uh, you know you're not conflicting with any information they have there already and i dare say somebody of that experience and ability would highlight something very quickly straight away that doesn't make sense there was never any of that but the output, you know, um, at the end of it, even the shortest of lessons was uh, was huge. You know, you're, you're asking somebody to uh, to do exactly the opposite to what they normally do on track. You know, you physically have to start moving the car around, otherwise it doesn't work for you. And, uh, they, you know, this particular driver took it on very, very well. And, uh, yeah, I think for me, having the opportunity to use pretty much all of the tools that I have in the box over four days was brilliant. You know, it really stretched me. I found that I'd really been worked out myself as well as the driver and uh, found it massively rewarding uh, by the end. It was um, definitely the, uh, the most memorable coaching experience I've, that, uh, I've ever had. Actually, yeah. I have a, a follow-up question on that. Um, yeah, sure. Four days a couple of times during the course of this uh, conversation. Is four days kind of a, a sweet spot for teaching, getting to know an individual and teaching them? Is that kind of... I think to be honest with you, the four days was the um, the length of uh, sort of that the higher length of package that the uh, the London Rally School offered. Okay. Uh, so that was one of the uh, the last coaching sessions I did before um, before leaving there really. So the um, 
but the thing is they can be extended you know i've worked with i've worked with a, a german um ds3 r3 drivers so that's a very high-end front wheel drive rally car uh, i was working with him for six days uh, we did four days intensive training before the event he went away to germany did the event and then came back um, very shortly after and did a further two days before another event which worked out really well so we have a an opportunity to um, learn, apply, and then learn some more. Mm. And uh, he found that very useful. So uh, I think we got uh, we got a podium result with that as well, which is just brilliant. So if you think, if you've got somebody who's middle of the road, you know, he was only ever coming in sort of, uh, sort of mid, mid-pack. So if you think there was maybe 60 cars in entry or 80 cars in entry, he was only ever in sort of the sort of 40, 50 percent. Uh, in mid middle of the road with that, and then he went away, did two events, and within those two events, I believe he got a podium. I think he came away with a third overall, which is just brilliant. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's good to see it does work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're seeing concrete results. Um, yeah. You know, another thing you mentioned when we were talking just a minute ago about the British GP driver was that he was really good at taking instruction and and um, implementing the instruction. And I have to yes. comment on this that I, I think there's probably a, a really valuable uh, like insight here is that some of the people, I think the people that I've found in my profession and in, and in motorsports and in other, other walks of life, the people that become really, really successful in whatever things they choose to do in life are often the people that are really good at learning and really good at listening and learning. Yeah. I think it's, it's an annoying thing though that, you know, I understand exactly what you're saying, but with what with what I'm uh, teaching and what I'm coaching with here is you have you have a bit of a grey area, and what I mean by that is you're maybe imparting the knowledge over, and the knowledge might make complete sense to them, but when you actually come to applying it, it doesn't make sense to them. So hmm. um, they might you know they might be very good at learning, they might understand things very well, and they, they're very good at listening, but it's trying to get that aha moment that you talked about earlier. I think yeah. in this scenario it can be can be more challenging than others uh, purely because of how complex everything is. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of physics involved. There's a lot of psychology involved. So the thing about their own confidence, the confidence in the car, the confidence in the knowledge. There's lots of little areas of confidence. Confidence isn't just one thing. You know, it's mm. it's got many layers, uh, and you have to make sure that so if one of those layers of confidence is missing, it affects all the other ones, and uh, it can actually completely upset your flow and your rhythm in the car. So, yeah, I can see what you're saying. You know, some people are really, in, you know, very, very good learners. They'll, they'll listen to you um, intently. They'll take on board that information, but then struggle with the practical side. They, they struggle to actually make it work and make the, make the connection. Mm. And that's where the patience really comes in handy. And you find different ways of getting them, you know, getting them to the point through their learning styles uh, to, uh, to the point where they have that aha moment. And then from that moment, then, uh, I sort of let them practice. You know, you get them to the point where they go, "Ha, I get it now." And I say, "Well, good. Just like practice that." Then I'll sit with them and make sure that they're doing it correctly, so, so they're rehearsing and practicing something that actually works. Um, and then we move on to the next thing. But then what I tend to do is uh, we'll go away from that particular thing, and then we'll practice something completely new. And then I'll chuck in what they've just done in the previous lesson uh, somewhere in the next lesson, uh, but completely out of the blue, just to see if it is actually in there. Hmm. And the funny thing is that they haven't got time. They haven't got time to think about it, so it's already part subconscious. 
they actually run through that. And it, I've never had a driver not do it. It happens very, very quickly. So it's incredible, really, the, the things that happen within your brain. Uh, there's a lot that goes on there that we don't really uh, pay particular attention to in day-to-day uh, -day life. You know, you might not physically uh, or, um, con you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? You might consciously not uh, appreciate that you understand something, but your brain does, especially if it's a physical movement or a physical uh, repeated, repetitive cycle. Your mm -hmm. brain can make sense of that before you actually make sense of it yourself. And I've proven that many, many times over. It's a fantastic thing to see when you say, um, for example, handbrake turn on a car. There's a great way of doing this. A complete group of uh, novice drivers who've never done handbrake turns in their lives. You'll find two out of the five will do it straight away. They'll have no problems with it. But the other three drivers will be like, I don't get that at all. It doesn't make sense to me. It's too difficult. You send them out the car for a break. The next time they can run to try it again, each and every one of them can do it straight away. And I've never had that fail. And what that says to me is that your brain's actually taking in all the information because it's very repetitive. The, the the training that I take them through, uh, the brain actually takes the information on. So the next time they come through that process, they can all do it straight away, and it happens without fail every time. So what I ended up saying to drivers was, "Don't worry, have a break, have a cup of tea, and then come back out, and then you'll be doing it." Then, and I said, "What do you mean?" No, honestly, it happens without fail every time, and it's just I guess it's how my um, it's how my training has evolved uh, to get to that point where you come up with a system that actually is not, tr you're not trying to train them um, in the conscious, you're trying to train them in the subconscious. So you're not, you're bypassing them altogether, which is really cool. And it does work. It works very well. And then once you've got them doing it, then they make sense of it. So it's almost like a reverse learning. You have to get them to the point where they're actually going through the process before they can make sense of it. Hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. Counterintuitive too, but it makes sense. It is, yeah, it is. But it's again, it comes down to a, like a different understanding, I suppose, of how how your brain, your body interacts with that particular scenario. It does sound pretty counterintuitive, but when you see it in, in motion, it actually works. And you have, I always talk to people outside of the car as well, so you have a little bit of peer-to-peer -peer coaching going on in the background. Mm -hmm. So if you're working with a group of drivers. I'll uh, obviously work with one in the car, and then there'll be sort of three or four outside of the car, uh, for example. So I'll say to them, look, just remember Dave couldn't do this in the previous session. So if you watch very closely now, try and remember how difficult he found this the last session out and see how easy he does it now. And you've got these four onlookers watching the car, and you do like, maybe the first one's a little bit ropey, but the second is a lot better, and the third one, you know, by the end, they're, they're on, you know, on sound, and they're comfortable, they're confident with it. And then before you know it, they're doing it on their own. You don't even have to tell them what to do. And they're like, how, how do we go from not being able to do one to being able to do it from two or three uh, handbrakes? So just using one example. And it's purely down to how your brain works. That comes back to the biology. Understanding how biology works allows you to be far more effective. Yeah. And then helping yeah, biology and people. Yeah, biology and psychology cross over, definitely. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So, uh, what are your future plans? Uh, are you, I know you're based out of the UK, but you're working globally. Um, do you have any? Uh, what do you What are you kind of currently doing this year, and what's on the horizon? Well, this year, uh, some very interesting things are uh, happening. I've got the uh, the full year. I'm working with this uh, junior rallycross driver, um, Alfie Porter. So I'm the CM through for the rest of the year for his first full season. He's got rounds in the British Rallycross and in uh, what we call the BTRDA uh, Junior Championship, um, which he's doing very well in both. Um, he's getting finishes, which is uh, which is brilliant. Um, the competition is very steep, so it's very high-paced. 
he's learning a lot of things as we go as well. So it's more of a it's more of a learning year for him. Beyond that, um, I've started uh, looking into uh, various other things as well, as much as trying to expand the business. There's other things that I've got a keen uh, interest in. One is, and you're probably going to uh, you'll yawn at this one, is uh, autonomous vehicles. I've got the opportunity to uh, to try and put some of the uh, <laughs> the experience I have into the uh, the programming of uh, autonomous vehicles. So it's um, something that will be happening very shortly within the next month or two. Oh, interesting. I don't yawn, yeah. actually. Uh, do you happen to know an individual named Lex Friedman? You should look him up if you don't. No. He's one of the, he's a, I believe that's his name. I'll circle back to you later. But he's one. Of, he's an MIT research scientist who's doing a lot of this work in autonomous vehicles. Okay. Uh, he was just on Joe Rogan podcast recently. I'll send you the link to it. But you'd want to listen oh, to him. Oh, that'd be great, yeah. Interest in that, yeah. All right, I'm fascinated. Yeah, I just thought, I thought for me it sounded quite um, quite interesting because I think for me really it just replaces the replaces the driver element uh, from my point of view, uh, you know, as far as the student's concerned with a computer. So it's trying to, you know, I'll, I'll be sat in the vehicle as as the driver, um, trying to understand the, <laughs> almost the decision making process of the computer and uh, see if it's making logical decisions and where improvements can be made. So I, you know, it's quite a you know, I think the attraction for me is fascinating with the human, doing it with a human and doing it with a machine, doing it with a car. Uh, so that'll be, uh, that'll be really, really fascinating. And hopefully I'll learn, I'll learn a lot along the way as well. You know, I'll start to see things in a very different way, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people look at the thought that they look at autonomous cars from the, the driver perspective as in it's really boring, you're not driving a car anymore. But, I'm very fascinated by the, um, you know, the, the science behind how do you get a car to actually drive around on a road safely, um, obeying all the rules where everybody else around it, you know, that particular autonomous car, aren't obeying, aren't obeying the rules. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah there's many, many uh, areas, I guess, that uh, will need addressing, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one for me. But beyond that, yeah, really just keep things going uh, with Rally Coach. Uh, alongside that and uh, just see where it goes it's a, it's a wonderful journey i'm very surprised to have got as far as i have um you know with the help and support of all of the, uh, the guys that i've worked with in the past you know i've worked with many thousand drivers and some of them i keep uh, in touch with on a, a regular basis so it's a growing and evolving thing even with the drivers i've worked with in the past they've always been massively supportive and i'll you know, take this opportunity to say thank you very much for all those you know who you are um you know they're forever um supporting me in the background i've had um many wonderful opportunities there's many you know great opportunities later in the year having to be working with uh, some group you know the old group b rally cars so things like the um, the metro 6r4 your rally quattros and your old Renault 5 um, maxi turbos uh, i've been invited along to uh, a track day with them uh, where i'm going to give um, you know just for, for them on, on their own on that day uh, some free coaching uh, and, uh, you know, I've actually been invited along as one of the highlights of that day, which is, you know, for me, it's, it, it's wonderful. You know, I'm happy to go and do those things. Um, you know, I want people to be more aware of what coaching is. You know, I, I go into university visits and college visits uh, with motorsport students and they find it fascinating. Uh, they, they also believe and uh, sort of concur with me that it should be something that, you know, should be in place uh, as part of any motorsport team really is to have a, a dedicated driver coach. You know, if you think about it from a, a competitive level, uh, or any competitive sport. I can't think of another competitive sport on the planet that's anywhere near as complex as what motorsport is. 
or uh, or is demanding. Yeah, some are physically demanding, um, others it might be a bit of strategy, but you find another where you're strapped into a car that's either going 200 miles an hour from the track or 125 miles an hour between trees, um, listening to uh, you know a co-driver processing all that information, it's, it's hugely stressful. And if you've got a team coach that can help, you know, maybe take a little bit of that weight, a little bit of that burden, and find, you know, new ways of getting that driver to calm down and focus on what's at hand. I think it makes the sport safer, um, more competitive uh, place, really. It has many, many benefits on many levels. I Again, that's just my opinion. No, I couldn't agree more. It's a really interesting uh, point to bring up, actually. I mean, we look at like other professional sports, like uh, baseball, for example, you have like a hitting coach and mm-hmm. you have a, uh, a pitching coach and you have like in almost yeah. every sport, you have multiple coaches for these people. Of uh, course you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, it's totally it's for me to say that there's no coaches in sport, but you know, the, the, ones, the ones that are there are people like me, you know, they're, they're very um, sort of proactive about it. They, they know that they're good at the teaching side. They know that they're good at getting the best. That's really what it's about is getting the best out of that individual um, in a way that, you know, inspires their confidence and makes them progress further than what they are today. It's not just about giving them new information. It's about, um, you know, getting them to learn a little bit more about themselves and prove that they can go that little extra mile um, than what they feel that they're capable of on their own. Um, but, you know, the, the sport has uh, psychologists, it has nutritionists, it has, um, you know, all of, all of the other types of coaches, but they don't have anyone, I, I feel, really, that I've ever seen. Um, there may be, you know, few and far between, where they have a dedicated uh, driver coach. You know, you, you've got um, Jack, um, is it Jackie Stewart highlighted this not long ago, last year, or within the last year, definitely, that, um, you know, top-level Formula 1 drivers are suffering uh, purely because they do not have dedicated driver coaches. They've, wow. got, they've got no support. Yeah, they've got no support at the top of the game. And, uh, you know, I responded to this and shared this around on social media. But I think it's a, it's a long, arduous task. It's never been there from the start. So why would they need it now? So you get a lot of drivers now with that almost arrogant attitude of, you know, I got to where I am today, you know, because I'm good. And, uh, you know, I'm the best. I don't need any training. I don't need any coaching. They see it as a, a sign of weakness, I suppose, or um, maybe even a source of ridicule in some instances where, you know, oh, uh, you know, Dave's off to get some coaching. Ha, 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 ha. He's obviously not as good as he thought he was. Well, it's entirely the wrong way around. You should be, uh, I think, very fearful of the guy that's getting coaching because ultimately they will be better than you are. It just takes time. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, wonderful, a wonderful thing to teach. It's a wonderful thing to work with. Uh, the results are there clear as day. And it evolves. You know, I think if you've been there from the start, if you imagine like motorsport being, what, 100 years old, it must be at least 100 years old yeah. now in general. If coaching had been there from the start, how much more evolved like, the driving side of the sport would be? Hmm. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at it as uh, on a par with like a, a science or a physics lesson, you know, if a science lesson was exactly the same as it was 100 years ago, science would be pretty boring. Same with physics. You know, uh, it, you know if um, driver coaching had evolved over 100 years, I think we'd be looking at some fairly spectacular results now um, by comparison, but we, we can't compare that because it's never been there. And the yeah. other thing is, you know, I think all of the countries really need to be uh, in, in a place where perhaps they speak to each other. You know, they, they have uh, this wonderful thing, you know, the, the World Wide Web, they've had it since I was a kid, and we can all get together and uh, discuss and uh, go over things. I obviously understand that if you're working with a top level team, you can't disclose or, you know, what you're going through. But I think with the basics, making sure that the fundamentals are in place, uh, that everything's uh, accurate and correct, and we all agree with it, instead of it just being one person's opinion. 
uh, I think that would be a better place to start from because I'm pretty sure, you know, when they're coming up with a, a physics or a science lesson for a school, you know, they don't just go, well, you know, I think that's the best lesson to give them. They, they, they must go through a very stringent process of, um, you know, deciding what they're going to teach the future, uh, teach the kids. And it, it, it evolves over time. You know, the, the, the physics lesson you had last year might be different to the one you have this year. Uh, and I think that's what, should, that's what, you know, should happen with motorsport as well. I would say the technology in the cars alone um, requires, uh, you know, an advancement in training uh, in itself, you know, because as the technology of the cars advances, you know, now in the last two or three years, we've really adopted aero into, uh, into rally, which opens up a whole new world of physics and uh, a whole new world of risk as well. You know, yep. If you start losing aero, uh, you know, if you, if you clip an edge and lose a front spoiler on a, on a rally car, um, you know, and you've committed 100% to your next corner, and that grip that you had on the last corner isn't there anymore. You know, that could lead into uh, into other issues. So, yeah, I think all of these things need to be sort of captured and evolved and taught uh, uh, as we go. If you, if you think about it, you know, the guys that are at the top of the game now, the WRC guys, they're not going back to club level and going, "This is how it's done." So, I feel that's the that should be the role of the coach. Yeah, yeah I agree. And I think if you if you have that level of information, then pass back down to the guys that are coming in at club level, at the very, the very entry level of the sport. Can you imagine how well uh, evolved and well prepared that driver is going to be for the rest of their driving career? They're starting off with more information than the guys at the top of the game now uh, would have ever had in their whole lives. And that's how it should be. Otherwise, how does it advance? How does the, how does the driver evolve? Everybody, everybody starts from... Everybody starts from scratch, don't they? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We all start from zero. And I mean, just from the driver's safety standpoint, I think this is something that really needs to evolve. Um, but separate from the driver's safety, which I think you could develop some pretty uh, robust, you know, uh, points around. Uh, I think that just the advantage that it creates uh, from a motorsport team and co from competition from that standpoint, you would think would drive would would be able to drive it, but if there's some kind of cultural shift that needs to take place, and maybe just as some early adopters would change things. Uh, it's an interesting. Yeah, well, I've, I've, said it, I've said it all along. You know, I've been, it's something I've been very passionate about for a very long time, and more so over the last sort of four or five years, where you know I've actually started to to see what I'm capable of, really, on the whole, and how far I feel that it should should be taken. I've, I've got no plans now. I'll sit next to anybody. You know, if if, mm -hmm. um, if a WRC driver was to want to, uh, you know just to see what could be done uh, to sit next to me, I'd quite happily do it, uh, you know, and I would do it with the confidence that I would find something that would need improvement uh, because, uh, you know, no, <laughs> nobody is without fault, not even, you know, not even myself. And that's the beauty of it is for every new challenge that I get, you know, it helps me develop and move forwards. But, you know, you've got, um, I don't know, I've digressed. Where were we before? Take me back. Um, <laughs> I mean, you were talking about, how you really need to have like an association. Have you thought of maybe being one, uh, uh, a facilitator or an instrumental piece and in maybe starting a foundation of like motorsport coaches or a motorsport coaching kind of a consortium? The hub yeah, I mean, of coaching? Yeah, it's, it's a great idea, but I think, you know, I'd be, um, it'd be hard pushed to make it happen. I think a lot of people are very protective of what they know, uh, whereas yeah. I'm quite open. You know, it's the attitude I have is that, you know, everybody could have the information that I have. It's it's how you deal with it and how you put it across that actually makes a difference. It's not, um, you know, everybody can read a book. You know, how you interpret that book and how you relay that story onto somebody else would be completely different to me. 
so I feel that the information I have, everybody could have it. You know, I could write a book and do videos, and everybody could be privy to that information. I have no qualms about that. But it's making sure that the uh, the people at the other end actually understand that, yeah, um, and are, are willing to take it on board. That's the key. That's that's the magic part. Uh, it's the issue that you have of. Uh, I think a lot of people, if they if they feel that they're good at something, they tend to be quite protective of it. Yeah, and uh, it would be hard to get people to uh, to kind of, you know. It's like their secret recipe for uh, for that um, that magical soup that their uh, their grand taught them to make. You know, it's it's something they don't want to give up too uh, too eagerly. But yeah, I'd, I'd be more than happy to do that. It's hmm. uh, interesting. It's, it's certainly something to look at. But you know, I think when it comes to what you know saying about incorporating a coach into a team it, it, it comes back to the same sort of uh, the same sort of things you were saying about entry-level drivers you've got guys coming into the sport uh, you know, if they get coaching it saves time money resources tires you know tires fuels and all that getting getting you to a point where you're you know you're capable when you're driving the same could be said for a seasoned professional you know if you've got um, testing going on and your team coach finds something that or an area of improvement that could be sought out with the driver Rather than just getting the drivers sort of chip away themselves, if you've got a coach there with them, it saves on fuel, tires, time. It would um, it would get them up to speed much much quicker, and that can happen at any point, anywhere in your driving career. You know, you don't just get to the point where you're a WRC driver and then all of a sudden you're the best of the best of the best. You still need to learn, you still need to adapt, you still need to push your limits, and that's that's where a coach comes in. Uh, and I, I feel that you know that that's where I'm at. That that's the point where I'm at in my uh, in my career really. I've got to the point now where I need to be challenged. You know, I mean, you think that I've sat next to a GT driver that, yeah, they, they were using all of the tools that I had in my in my coaching tool set, but I wasn't stretched. You know, I didn't feel like I was challenged, and I need to be challenged. So, you know, I'd leave that open to any any women volunteers. I'd quite happily uh, quite happily jump in with anybody. But there's benefits there for everybody. It's not it's not just for the drivers; it's for the teams as well. You know, if yeah. um, if a coach was to work with a team, that the coach can then sort of help the team understand how that driver works. Yeah. Uh, they can also sort of liaise and, uh, you know, some drivers are very good driving, they're not very good mechanically, so they can also sort of really relay um, any sort of niggles with the car across to the team as well and to help suit that particular driver in a certain way, you know, so long as it's uh, allowed within the, um, you know, the technical regulations of that particular rally. But, uh, yeah, there's many, many different areas where coaching is uh, beneficial. And I think the more it's used, the more it would be, you know, would be, uh, evolving thing really it's not just about getting the most out of the driver there's uh, there's a lot of cross cross communication there as well which would be beneficial for everybody for the whole team especially at the highest levels so it's safe to say that if an f1 team or a wrc team were to reach out to you to offer you an opportunity to get involved in the team as a dedicated driver's coach you would probably be interested if it was a good opportunity and a good fit Oh yeah, I think you know I'd, I'd be I'd be very foolish to turn turn that opportunity down. Of course, of course, I would take that opportunity on board, and I take it on with great, you know great confidence that I would I would be of great use to them. Um, you know, I wouldn't be saying that. You know, I, I don't um, I don't like to mince my words. I, I certainly wouldn't sit here and say uh, that I could do it if I couldn't. Yep. Um, but uh, I feel it's that, I think that's where I digressed away from. Really, is that you need uh, an opportunity like that uh, really before people. Will take you seriously. You know, if I had, if I had been born with the name uh, McRae or Solberg and had a, a pedigree of winning races and I had a, a championship season of three behind me at world level, then people would jump at the chance to sit with me, not because I was a good coach, but because I was a championship-winning driver. And mm-hmm. um, that the, um, I think, 
it's another issue that is the lack of communication, the lack of information available as to you know, what is the difference between a, a driver and an instructor or a coach is something that isn't there as well. You know, um, I don't have to be the best driver in the world to coach the best driver in the world. And I think that's a bit that a lot of people don't understand. How can you possibly teach somebody who's already faster than you to go faster? Well, sit next to me and I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, 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 it's counterintuitive to, real, to realize that they're actually two different skill sets and that you, it sounds like you've put in over yeah. in, in developing a skill set as an instructor, not as a driver, even though you yeah. have roots as a driver. And it's a totally different skill set. Yeah, it's not my ability that's being tested. It's not my, you know, it's not my driving skill that's being tested. It's my, it's my knowledge and my understanding of things that's being tested. So, uh, I have within my mind a very good and strong understanding of the, you know, the science, the psychology, the biology, the physics behind what makes a driver fast in a car. And when I'm there with you, I can see how all that works uh, with you, you know, as as the driver in the car. And if any of that is out of sync or out of line or outside of the bandwidth of what physics will allow, you know, you start dialing it all back in, but in a way that you can make sense of it. Because ultimately, my goal is to try and make myself redundant. You know, I'm not there to, I don't want you to become dependent on me as an instructor. I want you to uh, to go away with complete and utter confidence of, uh, you know, what you're capable of within yourself. So that when you're out there by yourself in the car, be it, you know, as a driver on your own or when you're there, um, you know, pilot in the car around in uh, you know, drive a cold driver scenario, but you've got the confidence to go and do it on your own. Uh, you don't need to. Um, you don't need to to call in somebody else's help because ultimately that's what that's what it comes down to. Um, so yeah, that's that's what we're trying to achieve, really. Untapping the potential. Well, Ian, it's been a, almost a couple hours. I and I want to you know say thank you so much. I think we'll kind of wrap things up here because I don't want to use up all day. You're over in the UK and you're actually eight hours ahead of us. So it's late evening for you. And I know you have probably family and commitments, but uh, I just, <laughs> this has been a wonderful, insightful conversation. I've been hanging on every word. It's been incredibly, <laughs> incredibly educational for me and I'm sure for Jimmy. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much for taking, for joining us today on this call. No, it's just been a real, real pleasure, and thank you very much for having me. You know, if you want to, uh, if you want to uh, go over anything in, uh, in greater detail in the future, then please, uh, you know, don't hesitate to ask. It would be, um, it would be a pleasure. Oh, well, absolutely! I'm sure we're going to take you up on that offer. We'll be one thousand percent. We'll take you up on that offer. Yeah, and, yeah. and so, um, I was just going to say, on. if you're ever out in the United States, specifically in California, please, please, please. Don't hesitate to reach out to us. You have a place to stay. You have accommodations and uh, somebody to be happy to give you a tour of California and help uh, be your, uh, I don't know, be your champion out here in California. And we'll take you around to some of the races here too. Oh, fantastic. That, that sounds like an offer too good to, uh, to turn down. I do believe that one of my students, my former students, actually uh, is in California as well. So it might be one that we could work out because uh, he's got some pretty interesting cars. Um, he's got like a, um, I think he's got a Z06 and um, what's the other one? Some, some sort of Baja uh, V8 monster uh, thing that he's got going on, kind of like what you do the Pari Pari Dakar with. Oh, cool! So, yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be cool to get everybody together and have a bit of a bit of a play. And that would be wonderful. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe, have you ever been to the Baja 1000 or any of the Mexican races? No, no. Or stuff? No, that would be yeah. Uh, that would be fantastic. I, I recognize a lot of the faces and I know a lot of the drivers that do, that do go. 
um, obviously through social media. But um, yeah, I've never actually been. That would be uh, that would be wonderful. Well, it would take some Maybe planning, and we wouldn't be able to do it this year, I would imagine. But we should try to make it happen one year because uh, witnessing the whole Baja One Thousand scene and the God, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's kind of a once in a lifetime thing to see. Yeah, no, it sounds good to me. All right, well, good Jimmy, uh, you know, uh, any final thoughts here for Ian? I, I'm just still trying to absorb everything. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I feel like we need to pay him for the theory lesson. Yeah. Ian, yeah. remind everybody, uh, the audience, where they can find you in social media and websites and things like that. Yeah, so um, obviously what you're looking for on social media is uh, uh, Rally Coach. So at Rally Coach on uh, Instagram. On uh, Facebook, I believe it's uh, Ian Duncan, uh, Performance Driver Coach. Uh, then if uh, you head over to uh, the website, which is rallycoach.co.uk, then all my contact details. And I do believe there are links there on the uh, the website. It's probably a bit of a one-stop shop for all of the um, all of my contacts, really. Um, so yeah, rallycoach.co.uk. And uh, yeah, please feel free to get in touch, even if it's just for a question. You know, I've got lots of uh, free time in the evenings, and I'm quite happy to uh, to spend you know spend the time like I am here now. And we'll see you guys uh, going over uh, things in great detail. And in fact, I encourage it because half the battle is getting the information out there so people can actually see what is on offer. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, for, thanks very much for your time. It's been, uh, it's been a great evening. It's been a great call. Ian, thank you so much. Uh, we'll touch base again soon. And thank you again. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, talk soon. Take care. Okay, cheers. Bye. See you. Just well, absorbing Jimmy. everything. I like. I had. I you. You definitely asked all of the questions that I was going to ask. Sorry but, if I cut no, in there. Totally fine. Totally okay. fine. Because it gave me more than enough opportunity to like just sit and listen and take it all in. Man, this guy's legit. I hope that's he gets like, an opportunity to go F one or WRC team. Oh yeah, me too. Sounds like that's what he really wants to do next. Actually, like. I mean, I, I found it funny because, uh, you know, I, like I was saying, like some pe- sometimes people come up to me and they ask me for like tips and stuff. Like I think this, this neck, not this weekend, because we're going to Utah this weekend, but next weekend when we're in uh, San Bernardino, uh, I'm going to be sitting and helping a guy out like all day on Saturday with driving and stuff. And I was definitely just going to start it all off with like, okay, like start ground zero basic like things to learn. But I never thought, to get into how things work, why they work, and then have them have their aha, have their like, oh man, it's clicking kind of moments. Well, it's almost like you have to custom, you're you're almost like constantly trying to get people to have the aha. And if they don't get it, you're trying a different angle, trying a different angle, constantly trying a different angle until they get the aha rather than memorization. You know what I mean? Like I'm having my own aha right now on how to create those. Yeah. <laughs> Those are like, like literally like you learn two plus two equals four. You never have to like think about it again. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that was a, yeah. The whole puzzle analogy, which. Dude, that was brilliant too. To they, yeah. It's like, I mean, you could even. It very well in the call, but the puzzle thing was brilliant. I thought. I mean, you can even look at that as like a, like a quality for a video. Cause all of everybody that's listening to this watches YouTube videos. It's like going, starting from a 360 p video and then ending up at 1080 like there's a lot more pixels yeah there's curves 
there's there's circles now. <laughs> Way more complexity, but it doesn't make the overall picture less defined. It makes it more defined, actually. Like, right. Yeah. That's okay. yeah. Oh man, I gotta. Yeah, I gotta I gotta re re listen to this and then. Yeah, because like I'm <laughs> oh, still good. blown away by like I, we need to have like if you go on his website, he uh on his uh that rallycoach.co.uk. He's got a home is like coaching, like things like those three things that those three rules of how to make a fast driver. He's definitely got on here and he kind of like explained all three of these and uh, on his program side of things, he's got pricing information, yada, yada, but he's got, he's got specific prices for theory only. Now I know he didn't like tell us anything about specific driving or this, that, or the other, but I definitely feel like I need to pay him money. <laughs> for what we were just listening to i know i know we're getting this guy's time is worth money and if this guy ends up even you know who knows where this guy's gonna be 10 years from now too this guy could be the guy we watch on tv as part of one of these teams and be like we oh, watch him on tv <laughs> yeah we do already <laughs> dude has been on tv i know i know no i real i recognize that too that like this guy's time is worth more than our time basically is what i was what i'm thinking like <laughs> like wow yeah. Man. All right. Yeah. So for all of those listening, you might want to restart that and learn and listen to it again, just a second time, even though you just heard everything, do it again. I'm going to, and I was here, uh, you might pick up something that you didn't the first time around, kind of like watching Tropic Thunder for the first time. You got to watch it another time and get, pick up more jokes. Uh, this is definitely going to pick up more things for me on how to help people out with stuff. I'm going to have to watch Days of Thunder again, as a matter of fact. I love his Days of Thunder reference. Uh, 12 laps my, your style, 12 laps my style. Let's see what, what the tires look like at the end of the day. That was great. As a matter of fact, he was also talking about the confidence thing and not knowing, having confidence in all the different areas. Like, you can have confidence in your driving, but maybe you don't have confidence in the car, how the car works. And to me, that was like right back to Days of Thunder, cold trickle, confessing in the bar he doesn't understand how the machines work he doesn't understand mechanics side of it. and you know i mean you remember that scene where he's like right, i don't yeah. understand any of this stuff i don't understand what take a wedge out means i don't understand what turn a twist is i don't understand any of this stuff about suspension and that's like cold trickle didn't have confidence in the mechanic side of the car and as soon as they broke down that barrier and he understood that they created a new language that worked for him so he could understand the mechanic side and the suspension tuning and tires and shit all of a sudden cold trickle had confidence in the mechanic side. He always had confidence in the driving side and then they started winning races. You know what I mean? It's like, right. Yeah. Oh, I man. don't know. Yeah. Great, great insight. Great call. This uh, was a, this was a good episode. This was a good episode. For yeah, all those listening, one. this was a good episode. Okay. Just so where can they find this episode? Let's uh, circle back to where it's available. All right. So if you guys are listening right now, you found us somehow. But if you need to find us in other ways, it's Apple, iTunes, podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, I think it's, it's public radio. Radio public, uh, I think. I don't radio know. public, one of those two. It'll, something will pop up. Uh, Google Play Store, the SoundCloud, I think. Yep. And what's the other one? Anchor. Anchor. Tune Anchor. in radio? Yeah. Tune in radio, yeah. There's a whole bunch of them. Majority of the people, you're going to be doing either uh, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or uh, Apple Podcast. Yep. But basically anywhere where podcasts are available, we should be getting a show up there. So look for the Subaru-only show. Subaru-only, one word. Search it. You'll find the podcast. 
this has been a great one. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it, Jimmy, all the, all the work you're doing on your end. Uh, I really want to say thank you again, Ian, out there to, to you for taking the time to talk with us and share all of your wisdom and experiences with us. It's like two decades or three decades of experience and wisdom that this guy just shared with us. And I mean, it's so invaluable. Um, and for all you out there, listen to the Super Only Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for joining the show. And uh, make sure you wave to those NA guys because they need some love too.